Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Wisdom Seeker Sunday School class. I just love the weather right now because it's so clean and brisk. I think our high today is 67. And if you think back just a few weeks, it was triple-digit heat. Wow, what a radical change we've had. I think the only thing we're lacking right now is the Lord needs to bless us with a little rain. I think that would be wonderful. I would love to see it rain really hard everywhere, and especially in Plano. We haven't had, I can only think of one rainstorm, and it wasn't very long. So, Lord, bring the rain. Um, I would like to uh, begin sharing a story about a uh, public school teacher. You know, teaching for most teachers is not just an occupation. It's, it's a vocation. It's a calling to help others learn, grow, and blossom into the full person that God has created them to be. And having been a teacher, I, I realized that calling kind of reaches beyond the classroom and that school calendar and it goes into every aspect of your life. I lifted uh, a story from a book that I was given by a teacher friend, and this book was written by four teachers, uh, two elementary school teachers and then two in secondary education. The title is 365 Meditations for Teachers. I heard a story yesterday of a now-retired teacher who taught in an inner-city school. She taught several children from one family and grew to know all of them well. One evening, after her retirement from school, <coughs> she saw on the TV news that one of those former students, I'll call him John, was poised on a city bridge, threatening to jump. Police and family members were trying to cajole him from his perch. The teacher thought, I think John would come off that bridge if I ask him to. She called the police and was told to come at once. Just as she had thought, John came down from the bridge when she spoke to him. The hope and belief in himself she had instilled as his teacher returned when he heard her voice. Now I want to hold that thought and I want to transition to our handout. And at the very top, my key scripture is Proverbs uh, 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, from infancy through adolescence, we instruct a child as he or she is capable of understanding with a very gentle hand, feeding them little by little the needful things and also the spiritual things. You know, it's our goal to make good impressions with our words upon their minds that will abide with them forever. Now, I want you to look at this scripture. The word train in this passage is hanak. It means to narrow or discipline. So, meaning you're going to dedicate yourself to turning this child into a trained servant. You know, it's similar uh, to a soldier who is taught to handle their arms, keep rank, and observe the word of command. 
this is truly one who is trained and disciplined. The word go is the Hebrew word peh, P-E-H, meaning mouth, which is also identified as being a commandment as well. Our mouth is the external manifestation of our character and our inclinations. The mouth is an organ through which our relationship to God is investigated or examined. We should always have a theme of praise in our voice as we train our children and our grandchildren. This scripture is a promise from our Heavenly Father that if we will faithfully strive to accomplish this process that was outlined in Proverbs 22, the child will not forget his or her spiritual heritage as a righteous seed. John in this story that I shared about the teacher was threatening to jump, to kill himself. But you know what? He remembered her voice. He actually fulfilled this scripture because his life was spared. Now, going forward here, I have eight special promises to children. The first one is entitled Reverent Children, Children Who Are Respectful. Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor, Kabod, which means weighty, thy father and thy mother, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged and that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, the word for honor is that Hebrew word kabod. And I've already referenced that it means weighty. So it's the idea that if it is heavy, it is something noteworthy or impressive. You know, the reputation of a person is of central importance when looking at this word, kabod. A person in a high social position with wealth was automatically an honored or weighty person in society. Also, persons in positions of responsibility and authority were deserving of this distinction. In addition, parents were revered as heads of households and should receive respect, attention, and obedience from their children. Let's just keep going. The second one is forsaken children. Psalm 27, 10. When my father and my mother forsake, and that word means to relinquish or to, to leave a child destitute, then the Lord will take or gather and collect them up. So if a child's parents die or they're at a distance from them um, or unable to help in time of need or unkind and will not help, then they are left fatherless and motherless. A child must walk by faith 
in the goodness of God and then in due time walk in the sight of that goodness as the Father in heaven has drawn them into him. And he will nurture and he will protect through his mighty and also his very mysterious ways. I added two additional scriptures here to kind of clarify this one. We don't talk about this too much in church. Uh, let's go to Job 32.8. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration or the breath of the Almighty giveth them understanding, enables them to distinguish or to separate mentally, is what that means. So every person, uh, either a child or an adult, is able to discover and receive truth and to reason upon it. This understanding is the light that shines in everyone. Now let's look at Proverbs twenty twenty seven. The spirit of man is the candle or the light of the Lord, Yahweh, searching all the inward, the innermost parts of the belly. So by the help of conscience, you know, that is to recognize the difference between right and wrong behavior, um, we come to know ourselves. The next one, number three, is early seekers. Um, for this uh, teaching, um, I'm looking at those, that's children, that are just uh, beginning or emerging in life as human beings. So I want you to look at it like that. So Proverbs eight seventeen. I love them that love me and those that seek me early shall find me to come upon or meet or be present. So young children, little preschoolers in the early stages of their life can meet God and they can be apprehended with great love and discovery about our wonderful creator. Um, you know, I have always been in church, and uh, before I went to kindergarten, I would play for hours uh, with my younger brother in the backyard. Um, we had a swing set, we had an abundance of grass, flowers, grasshoppers, um, and lots of imagination. And I, all of these tangible things that were back there that we would play with would become other tools with our creativeness. And um, when he was not playing with me, um, and I think it's because he was napping, um, I can remember uh, our Heavenly Father talking to me about nature, like about the grasshoppers. I remember that. And sometimes he would remind me of uh, my Sunday school lessons uh, from my Bible teacher. Um, I, I remember specifically her teaching on the Ten Commandments, and of course it would be on a children's level. And, uh, and I can remember him just reminding me of them and when would I use those. Of course, you know, I'm a little kid just playing in the backyard. Um, so they were really short and simple little illustrations that um, he would give me. But I can remember saying to him, um, yes, Lord, I'll do that because I love you and you know I appreciate you and I want to obey you. Um, when I was five and my brother was three and a half, We had gone down the street, probably on our side of the street, three houses. And uh, there was uh, lots of children that lived at this house, mostly girls. And they had company over, it was their cousins. And so we got pulled in, you know, running and playing and laughing and having fun. And uh, I remember that there was this long dirt driveway. And so we were on the side of the house 
and uh, we had gathered around in a little circle around this one little girl that lived there. She was probably two or three years older than me, so I guess she could have been eight or nine. And she was in the middle, and uh, she was telling us a story. And so we're all clustered around her, you know, listening to this story she's going to tell us. She was rubbing her foot on a little anthill that was in the dirt. And um, my little brother was standing next to me, and we're just intent, listening. And all of a sudden, there's a black hole. So what had happened was, I'll insert this now, was there was an old well. And uh, they had covered it over decades, decades ago. But there was water in the bottom of the well, and so slowly, over a period of many years, it had eroded the dirt at the base of the well, where the water was. So the fact that we're standing around her, and she's standing in the middle, which was the heart of the well, and she was pressing with her foot on this anthill just because she was busy talking to us and had to keep her foot moving, that just caved in, and down she went, and there wasn't a sound, not a sound. And we're all standing there, stunned and amazed. And um, I remember very vividly recognizing the voice of the Lord, like I'd heard in the backyard when I would play. And he said, step back with your foot. And I looked down and my toes were like hanging over the rim of the well. So I did, and he said, take your hand and push your brother back. And I did. And I didn't know what to do. Nobody knew what to do. They're, they were, I, my brother was probably the youngest one there, three and a half. So I s imagine maybe the oldest one was 12. There probably was eight or ten of us in this circle. Well, what happened was we didn't know what to do. We didn't know where she was. We didn't know what we were looking at, but we knew that it was dangerous. <laughs> so we're just standing there, kind of frozen. So one of the girls that lived in the house ran in to get someone, get an adult. And so she comes out, this, this mother comes out, and she sees us all just standing there, like frozen in time, you know, in the big black hole. And she looks at us, and she runs back in the house. That really startled all of us, because we were looking for help, and she ran away. Well, the next thing I hear is the Lord said, it's time to go home. So I turned around, I, I obeyed, and I took my brother's hand, and I walked down this long driveway, and I got to the front sidewalk, and when I got there, I heard this mother start screaming, blood curdling. Well, I'm five. So I looked at my brother and I said, run. <laughs> we ran home, you know, three doors down, ran up the steps, ran in the door, and here's what was interesting about it. My mother was always there. I ran in the house and there stood my dad. And of course, I was just terrified, and I couldn't tell him fast enough. And he, uh, to the credit of my dad, he looked at me and he was very calm. He was very reassuring. And he listened to the whole thing. And just to bottom line it, he, he, he uh, praised me for, you know, taking care of my little brother. And he said, you know, I think for safety, when you're playing with him, you know, you should stay in the backyard because it's all fenced in. So I was like, okay, you know, sure. And he's, and, but I kept saying to him, Dad, she's in the well, and, and nobody came to help us. And so he looked at me, he was very calm, and he said, don't worry about that, I'll take care of it, I'll go and help. But you don't need to worry about this, because you're, you're safe, you're fine, and you just go on playing. Okay, Dad. I trusted my dad, and so I didn't, I didn't doubt him. So anyway, uh, I can't give you any more details, but I, I'm going to bring this to a close. 
he did go down and investigate, but he didn't talk to me about it. And by that time, as a child, I'm, I'm mentally moved on and, and I'm just thinking about what I'm gonna do now. You know, what I'm gonna play, what am I gonna do? Had my little brother. And so I didn't think much about it because I had such confidence in my dad, I just knew that whatever happened, he, he'd take care of it. So I didn't doubt it. So I just went on. Well, he had really talked to me about you know, safety and if my little brother's with me, I should stay in the backyard you know, not venture down the street and play with my friends, which they would let me do. So this is about four or five months later. I'm in the front yard playing by myself, and I look down the street, and I see the little girls that lived in that house playing out in the front. So I just ran down there, and they were racing around and playing chase, and so I just joined in, and all of a sudden they go around the corner to that long driveway, and I remembered, you know, it came back. And I thought, okay, I'm not, I don't know that I'm doing this. So I'm running back there and I'm following them, I'm making this big wide circle. I wanted to keep my distance away from the well. Well, when I got there, obviously they had, months back, they had sealed it, filled it, sealed it, covered it, and you know, it just looked like a, a driveway, a dirt driveway. I knew where it was, I could tell by the, you know, I could see the circular shape. But I thought, no, I'm, I'm not going there. So I went on into the backyard, and, as I, and it was a big backyard, and this, there was a big, huge tree back there. And I saw this girl sitting under the tree in the shade. And I thought, that's the girl that was in the well. So I started back there, and I realized that she wasn't sitting in a chair. She was sitting in a wheelchair. And so I, I wasn't sure what to say, so I just did girl talk, you know, chatter. She was talking to me, I was talking to her, and um, pretty soon it was time to go, and so I'm walking back down, you know, kind of felt like I was replaying it. I walked back down to the sidewalk and I said, Lord, I said, I never thanked you for protecting my brother and I. And I said, I pray for this little girl uh, she never walked again. She was wheelchair-bound. But uh, I prayed for her, and I said, God, thank you for protecting us, and thank you, God, that I listened, that I listened to that still, very small voice that I heard, and I obeyed. And I wanted to share that because all children are different, you know, I only had two, but they were as different as night and day. And, you know, when you're trying to discipline them, you know, it's really hard to strike a balance sometimes because one would cry easily and the other one would be defiant, you know. So here we were, Dennis and I, trying to figure out how to balance that out and, you know, keep it fair, as they would always say. That's not fair. You're not being fair. But I wanted to share that because um, I didn't really talk about that with my parents after the fact. Um, I, I didn't think it was unusual. I didn't think it was important, I guess. But uh, I was very aware of the fact, since I was always raised in church, that that was God speaking to me. And I do remember thinking that he was talking to me in church at times as well. So I just wanted to emphasize that with you because I think sometimes we forget to tell our children these stories and these things that happen to us as children because it would encourage them. Because raising children now is so different from when I raised my two. It's a lot more challenging and uh, you know, their social skills are severely lacking because they've always got their face in a screen nowadays, even at school. So to get off that topic, I'll go back, but I, I just felt that tied in with uh, these first three that I mentioned. Um, number four uh, is the obedient children, and it's Proverbs 8.32. And now therefore hearken, this is Shema, unto me, O ye children, for blessed or happy are they that keep shamar. So we have shamar and shamar. 
Shamar is to hedge about, to observe, and to preserve uh, what, what God's ways are. I didn't finish that that keep my ways. So you're going to hedge about those ways, you're going to observe those ways, God's ways, and you're going to preserve them. Um, you know, children are to hear and obey the voice of God, just like mom and dad. And I, I, that's why I felt I needed to tell you that story. Um, and you know, I have to tell you, I can't remember now if I ever shared this with my children. I don't remember. I don't know. Did I? Yeah. I, you know, I can't call it back. So I, I thought, gee, I wonder if I ever told them that story. I hope I did. And it's different now because we, we were such good children. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we no, want to. Well, we want our children to really, you know, discern the voice of Christ, you know, just like the sheep would know the voice of the shepherd. Um, you know, there's safety in being surrounded and covered by our Father's plan and purpose um, for our lives. It really brings um, a, a fulfillment to us uh, in happiness and in a completeness as we walk through life. Um, number five, lambs of the flock. Isaiah 40, 11, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. So God is tenderly leading the young and helpless and protectively, you know, gathers young lambs in his arms and carries them in his bosom. So if you think about that, it's kind of like uh, in that, in that, day that in when Jesus lived, you know, the, the garments they had, there were a lot of folds in those garments. And um, they would lap over and there was almost, uh, in its material I'm talking about, it was almost like there was a hollow place, a cavity for a, for a safekeeping. And of course, uh, I'm talking about in the physical, but in the spiritual, it's really the same way. You know, it's in the fold of his heart where he keeps them. And you know, that's so beautiful. Uh, I'm gonna just keep going. Um, number six, uh, little children. Now I'm thinking here of, of infants uh, to elementary age. Uh, Mark 10, 14 through 16. And when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, and put his hands upon them, and blessed Elogia. He released the good purpose of God upon them. You know, um, in this story that happened, that was written in Mark, the parents of these little children believed that Christ's blessings would do their child's spirit much good. That's why they brought them. Um, he would touch them and he would actually reach into their hearts. Uh, you know, today um, we present our children to Christ and uh, that's through baby dedications. And when we do that, we're acting in faith for the fullness of his grace and his promises to rest upon our children and our grandchildren concerning their identity in Christ Jesus. Number seven, children of believers. Acts 2, 38 through 39. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Um, you know, this chapter, this chapter two, uh, is about the descent of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You know, Peter preached and, and shows this outpouring of the Spirit 
was the accomplishment of the Old Testament promise that it was a confirmation of Christ being the Messiah. Um, and that it was a fruit and evidence of his ascension into heaven. Uh, Peter says that uh, your children will have an interest in the covenant for the promise of the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Ghost and to, it's to you and to your children. The first step is accepting and believing in faith for these powerful promises. All right, this is a little intro for this last one, number eight. Um, as you know, the fifth commandment is to honor your father and mother. Uh, the promise is that it will be well with you, meaning outward prosperity and long life or blessings promised if you keep that com uh, commandment. So let's look at Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Dikaios, meaning just or righteous. Honor, and this is tameho, meaning to value or revere thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. So the Apostle Paul says here that the duty of children to their parents is to obey their parents. That obedience which God demands from their children includes an inward reverence as well as an outward expression or act as well. Children are to obey their parents, especially in those things that relate to the Lord. Any comment on this section? I've got a comment, Tammy. Yes. This last chapters because thankfully, I think all of us in this room have parents that we're able to But then there's a lot of people that it's difficult to honor their parents because maybe they're heathen, they're not following righteousness. And, and I did not honor my dad. Okay, well, we'll pray for you. Well, but then, I was <laughs> he, what he was, yeah, you know, that's what I'm saying. He was a two. But one of the things that I, because I, I've prayed into this um, a lot, and I think one of the revelations that God gave to me about honor when it comes to honoring your father and your mother, because this is very important to God. I mean, obviously, it's the first commandment that does come with the promise, with the blessing that we will have long life if we honor our parents. Is that when you honor, you don't necessarily honor, um, you honor what you know God created them to be in their purpose, in, their, in the way he created them, yes, in his heart. We can't honor based on what we see and what their behavior is. And that was kind of a shift for me. It really, because I mean, well, I don't need to go into personal experience like Stacy did, but. I'll <laughs> be the example. I mean, to be truthful, I mean, there's some behaviors that our parents have that it's very difficult to honor. But we, I think, we may honor them and who we know God created them to be. And that, that really changes the perspective of it. And as we do that before the Lord, it's really partnering with them and believing that they were created for righteousness and for goodness and, and not to be um, a bad example or heathen or anything like that. So I thought I'd share that. That's good. Well, and you know, I think about like my mother, for example, who was raised in the church. Well, I loved my mom, but you know, no one's perfect. Nobody's perfect. She made mistakes raising the four of us. I made mistakes raising too, but I still honor her. I still honor her. Didn't always agree with everything that she uh, wanted me to do or wanted the kids to do, but I honored my mother. And, and I'm glad that I held my tongue. Not always, but I tried to hold my tongue and not talk back to her, you know, because sometimes I would get exasperated. And my mother was a Christian. And I was like, how can this be happening? You know? And, and uh, 
I wasn't, you know, thinking holy things at the time. I was just exasperated. But I just felt like, okay, you know, I can't do this. I've got to hold my tongue. I just have to take it. And I did. All right, this new section is called Examples of Good Children. Um, and I chose three in the Old Testament. Um, now I want you to just recall this. You don't have to go there in the Bible unless you want to. Um, let me kind of start with an intro here. Um, Abraham uh, traveled three days with two young men and his son, Isaac. And on the third day, he leaves the two young men and he walks with, on with Isaac, um, you know, telling them that we're going to go further and we're going to worship and then we will come again. Okay. Now I'm using Tammy's words. Debbie, your oh, noises, noises. Um, so let's look at Isaac. It's just a real short one here. Uh, it's Genesis uh, 22.7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now, let's look at this question. You know, Isaac's question was a moving question as they were walking together. I mean, it really had to melt Abraham's heart and really strike deep within him because of this question, but you know what? He maintains his control of himself and he just calmly keeps going. But you know, it's also a, it's a trying question to the father because how could he bear to think or even consider that Isaac was himself the lamb? He is a young, innocent boy and it's his only child, and he's to be sacrificed. All right, and then I also uh, see a teaching question for all of us. That when we are going to worship God, we should seriously consider where is our heart? Is it ready to be offered up to God and to ascend to him as a burnt offering? You know, Abraham gave a really prudent answer. He said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Provide is the word ra'ah, which means to see with the eyes of God. This answer was going to be the result of obedience and faith, or both, for this man of God to perform this act by expecting to perceive whatever God's provision was. You know, Abraham lays the wood in order for Isaac's funeral pile, and he tells him this amazing news, you know, Isaac, you are the lamb which God has provided. You know, we do not find that Isaac attempted to make his escape. He didn't make any resistance. He allowed his father to bind his hands and to be placed on that altar. Let's go on with our story. The angel of the Lord calls to Abraham from heaven, and he replied and said, Here am I. And the angel spoke again and told him not to hurt his son. Then Abraham looked and he saw the ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Um, you know, a new name uh, was given to this place where this occurred in the land of Moriah. And it's called now, today, called Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. The temple, the place of sacrifice, 
was built here on Mount Moriah and Mount Calvary, where Christ was crucified, was not too far off. You know, Isaac was about 12 years old or younger when this occurred. Now, this is not a fact, this is just uh, an educated guess. But um, I find that very, find that very powerful. I gotta keep going. Okay, my second example is uh, Jephthah, and let me give you an intro on this. Uh, he was the ninth judge of Israel, and he delivered the nation from the Ammonites. And um, he made a very rash and foolish vow that if Israel won, he promised to sacrifice whatever met him at the door of his house. And I think he probably thought an animal uh, would be at the door, but to his surprise, it was his daughter. Judges 11, 34 through 40. Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances and she was his only child. Beside her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon, and she said unto her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, and I and my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed. And she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. So Jephthah, <clears throat> to promise a human sacrifice is totally unexcusable, however low the level of his knowledge of divine law. Jephthah's daughter, satis to satisfy her father's conscience and for the honor of God and her country, dedicated herself to be in lifelong service in the tabernacle. She was about 16 or 17 years old, I believe. That's another educated guess. Wow. We have to watch our words, don't we? We have to be very careful. Think before we speak. Okay, and then my last one in the Old Testament is Samuel and he was the last and greatest of the judges and the first of the prophets. 1 Samuel 2:26. And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. So um, in order to talk about him, I decided to make bullets. So my first bullet, Hannah, his mother, uh, made a vow that if God granted her son, her a son, he would be dedicated to the services of the sanctuary. Samuel's name means name of God or a godly name. Um, it was probably part of a sentence spoken by Hannah at his birth. Um, the full sentence uh, would have been in some form of, I ask him for a godly name. Uh, when Samuel was weaned, and that was probably at the age of two or three, his mother brought him to Shiloh where he was formally dedicated, and left with Eli the priest. Now, while still a lad, 
Samuel was favored with divine revelation concerning the downfall of the house of Eli. So remember, he was very young when God shared with him about Eli's sons. Uh, when Eli's sons died, the priesthood ended through the line of Aaron. And then finally I have Samuel grew in the eyes of the people and all knew that Samuel had been entrusted with a prophet's office by the Lord. So those are my three examples from the Old Testament. Very quickly, let's do the New Testament. I have three examples. The first one is John the Baptist. Um, you know, Jesus uh, regarded John the Baptist as the last and greatest member of the prophetic succession. Um, the law and the prophets were until John, and then since that time, the kingdom of God is preached. Luke 1, 80. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. So what we know about John the Baptist is he was born to an elderly couple, Zacharias, who was a priest, and Elizabeth. Um, he grew to manhood in the wilderness of Judea where he received the prophetic call. John was the forerunner of Christ. His imprisonment was the signal for the start of Jesus' ministry. John's baptismal activity uh, provided a starting point for the apostolic preaching. And then finally, in Jesus' estimation, John was the promised Elijah, who was to come and complete his ministry of restoration. All right, the boy Jesus. Um, it's clear that Jesus' life from uh, childhood to young manhood was normal, but it was also perfect. Luke 2.49, And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? All right. So he lived in a humble home with several younger brothers and sisters. His life at all times was in complete agreement with the will of God. From an early age, he appears to have been conscious that he was the son of God in a special sense. It is clear that from his childhood, he had made an intensive study of the Old Testament scriptures. And then finally, Jesus had to work hard as a carpenter in order to provide for Mary and her younger children. And then my last one is Timothy. Uh, this is Paul's young friend, Timothy, who was like a son to him, 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, Timothy was a son of a mixed marriage, and his mother was a Jew, and his father was a Greek. Um, he was reared by his mother Eunice and grandmother Lois in a godly home. Uh, he was converted during Paul's first trip to Lystra, and Timothy became the leader of the church of Ephesus. Now this next section is called the seed of the righteous. And in this section, uh, we're going to focus on the good influence of the righteous. And there are seven promises, four in the Psalms and three in the Proverbs. These are precious promises we have to encourage ourselves in prayer as holy people dedicated to God concerning our children and grandchildren. So the first one is Psalm 25, 12 through 14. What man is he that feareth the Lord, Yahweh, him shall he teach. Notice it means to aim the finger. In the way that he shall choose, his soul shall dwell at ease, which is Tob, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret, which uh, is the word sowed or counsel of the Lord Yahweh, is with them that fear him. 
and he will show, that means to know them, his covenant. This promise, um, when I was looking at it, um, it was likened to me, my interpretation was, it was like a threefold cord. And you know in scripture it says that a threefold cord is not easily broken. So looking at verse 12, it said that God will by his right hand instruct and direct us in the way as we walk through life by pointing out our plan. So I perceive this as the first chord. Then verse 13, um, as a good and righteous person, we will permanently abide with our children and drive out the other tenants and possess the land for the expansion of the kingdom of God. That would be the second chord. And then verse 14, those that devote themselves and offer themselves to be taught of God will know his will and ways, and that would be the third chord. Now, as we go through these, remember these are promises, and we're talking about our seeds, meaning our children and our grandchildren. So, number two, Psalm 37, 24 through 26, though he fall, he shall not utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young and now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, destitute, nor his seed begging, uh, begging to strive after for food. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. And the word blessed is barak, meaning to kneel. So, you know, God will keep us from being ruined by our falls, either into sin or into trouble. God shall uphold us with his hand. We must have our will brought into an entire subjection to the will and word of God. God will not desert us but graciously protects us in difficulties, distresses, or needs. As we kneel and pray in submission and obedience, asking for the Lord's presence, grace, and his keeping power to be upon us and our children. Now, this uh, Barak blessing from God was to confer abundant, an effective life upon something in the future. God's name, the manifestation of his personal, redemptive, covenant-keeping nature is at the heart of all blessing. He wishes to give it to all who will trust. That is very powerful but we first have to believe that it can happen. This is a promise for our children. All right, number three, David uh, penned this psalm, and as we start to read it, you're going to see that there were afflictions um, on the righteous, but at the end, we are victorious. Psalm 102, verses 23 through 28. He weakened my strength in the way, he shortened my days, I said, O oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. The children of thy servants shall continue, meaning to permanently reside, and their seed shall be established 
meaning prepared and made ready before you. So God never changes, and the children of the saints will inhabit the world because Christ is the same and is eternal. He is the head of the church, and we are the body. Those that hope to wear out the saints of the Most High God are really sadly, sadly mistaken because you know what? We are overcomers in Christ Jesus. This next psalm is a description of those who are called blessed and to whom promises are made by our Heavenly Father concerning uh, their family's heritage. Psalm 112, 1 through 5, Praise ye the Lord, blesses the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty or powerful. It also means champion upon the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Here's Barak again. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. And as I looked at this one, knowing it was a promise from God, I could see there was like a sevenfold blessing released upon our descendants, our children, and our grandchildren. So, very quickly, in verse 1, um, they are well-principled and have a constant reverence for the majesty of God. Number 2, still in verse 1, they are both just and fair in all their dealings. Number three, this would be verse two. Their seed or children will be champions if they tread in the steps of their parents and will be abundantly blessed and happy as a result. A champion is a mighty man or woman who will restore and prevail over others with much strength. Wow. Wow. Number four, this is still in verse two. They are honest and sincere and are called upright, which means yashar. Um, I don't know if we'll have time or not, but yashar is something I was going to share in the very last section. It means to be straight. Um, these individuals are really as good as they seem to be and deal faithfully with God and man. Uh, number five, verse three, there will be an outward prosperity, but even more so with the spiritual blessings, which are the true riches. Amen. And then number six, which is verse four, they shall have comfort when problems arise. And then number seven, which is verse five, they shall have wisdom in managing their affairs. So God, through this verse, which is, you know, five verses here, um, is a promise to us, and it's released through our bloodline upon our descendants. All right, now, moving to uh, number five, uh, we've, the, these were in the Psalms. I found that very interesting. This is now Proverbs. 11, 19 through 21, as righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. They that are of a froward, <clears throat> meaning perverse, or to make crooked, heart are an abomination to the Lord. But such that are upright, now here's that word again, we saw it in Psalm 112, um, in verse 3, 4, and here it is, upright, yashar, to be straight. In their way are his delight. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. But the seed of the righteous shall be delivered, meaning they will escape. 
What was interesting about this particular promise was this word, uh, froward, that was in verse 20. You know, it emphasizes uh, a perversion, a, a twisted nature, and that's what sin is. It's a twistedness. So uh, people with evil intentions will twist their ways. Um, it is these difficulties the Lord will overcome in saving his people out of a very desperate situation. You know, wicked rulers in the Bible would twist everything that was straight. And, you know, we see that happening with greater frequency and boldness today with our system of governance. It's happening right now. And it's moving around the world. But, you know, true happiness is uh, true holiness. You know, it's important for us to know that God hates. What does he hate? And what does he love? We need to know because we need to govern ourselves accordingly. You know, nothing is more offensive to God than hypocrisy, which is this frowardness, or pretending justice, but really intending wrong. Walking in crooked ways to avoid discovery. It's sad to say, but wicked children tread in the steps of their wicked parents. They think they shall not be held guiltless, you know, however, it will not excuse them to say that they did as their wicked parents and as their friends did. That doesn't work. The seed of the righteous are children that follow the steps of their righteousness, though they may fall into trouble, but in due time they will be delivered. You know, delivered was in verse 21. It's the word malat, which really means to escape from the threat of death, either at the hands of a personal enemy or a national enemy or by sickness. Wow, what a powerful promise that is. All right. Proverbs 14, 26-27. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Okay, now, <clears throat> we've talked a lot about the fear of the Lord, and it is a moral reverence and an absolute devotion to God. But it's also the beginning of wisdom and to hate evil or twisted purpose. The fear of the Lord has to do with restoring the world that has been defiled by Satan. You know, where the fear of the Lord reigns, there is security and serenity in mind. It enables a person to hold fast and gives them a boldness before God and the world. That's us. It ushers in a blessing upon the generations to come, which is our children and grandchildren. It is an overflowing and ever-flowing spring of comfort and joy that actually shelters us. And then my last one is Proverbs 20, 6-7. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. The just or righteous man walketh in his integrity. Uh, tome. It's a completeness. His children are blessed. Escher with happiness after him. A father who seeks after God in the bonds of love and devotion will rejoice for his children as the faithful recipients of the mercy of God. For what he has committed to his creator and, you know, uh, there, the examples would be like trusting in God without question. That's one example. Or being faithful and obedient to his word. Or just simply submitting to the authority of God. Um, I'm going to um, stop because I've run over a little bit. Um, 
I'm going to stop here. Um, the conclusion would have been, I was going to talk about uh, good children of wicked men, and I had, um, I think I had three, I had three examples. Um, I had Josiah, and he was seven when he became king of Judah. The next one was Hezekiah, he was 12 when he began his reign. And then uh, the last one is Josiah, and he was eight when he began to reign in Jerusalem. And what I found interesting about this, and I, I'm just trying to summarize and bring this to a close, is you can see that for each of the scriptures that I included, for these three child kings, they always referenced uh, right or upright, yashar, being straight, um, for each one of these children. And I thought that was very interesting because it, it really was a quality that these children had that they would reign and they would uh, listen with their heart and with their mind as an upright person to keep really loyally and, and legally uh, bound to God. And I thought it was interesting that they used that word yashar that way for the children. And of course we referenced it in some of the other passages that we had today. Um, I've got to close. Um, I'm going to just pray for you very briefly. Uh, Father, um, I commit these precious people to you. And Lord, as we move forward as your saints, that Lord, the um, attributes and the abilities that you have given to each of us, that we would let those be manifested as we look at our children and at our grandchildren, uh, children in the church, uh, children in our neighborhood, any children that, that we might have contact with. Lord, we know that they are covered by their parents, but Lord, we always want to be conscious of speaking a blessing over them and trying to be the model that we need to be before God to these children. And so Father, empower us, give us wisdom, and enable us to accomplish this mission. In your mighty name I pray, amen.